that passage for me. We were shorthanded in Sunday school. We got about 75 people on their way back from Mexico this morning, so you folks will have to fill in the gaps. All of our young, vibrant, alert, Bible study people are in, are in the route. Probably, uh, 22, 28. Somebody like to volunteer to read that for me? Nobody has a Bible this morning? Okay, Randy uh, Foster is going to read that for me. If you'll just get that and hold it for a moment, Randy. Uh, so uh, I'm going to uh, do this series for uh, quite, a, quite a, a number of uh, weeks, probably at least 10, maybe 12 weeks. It's a very interesting uh, imagery that's given to us in the Bible. Uh, at first glance, it doesn't seem that uh, there's this much involved. But uh, there's a very deep and a profound uh, teaching that has to do with landmarks and has to do with boundaries in the Bible. Uh, I, I was raised in Prescott, and uh, as a boy, I wandered all over these hills hunting uh, and various kinds of hunting, rabbits and uh, quail and dove and, and deer. And uh, it was quite uh, common uh, in those days that you'd run onto a mining claim. Anybody ever been out in the Tulis and run into a mining claim? If you see a pile of rocks there, you say, what on earth is that for? And uh, you can see that somebody deliberately uh, piled up a pile of rocks. And actually, uh, the United States has uh, mining laws that encourage the discovery of minerals. And so uh, uh, the uh, uh, little yuppies that we've got governing our country are trying to get rid of that now. But uh, these are ancient laws that encouraged people to prospect for precious metals, and especially gold. And uh, all these hills around here have uh, mining uh, claims on them. You could go out, if you discovered precious metal, precious minerals, you could stake a claim, and uh, if memory serves me correctly, uh, you would have the right to 20 acres. It would give you a surrounding area around that claim where you could prove that you had uh, uh, metal. You could have it assayed, and if it proved out to any substantial amount, why well, you would have a claim, uh, regardless of uh, where that land was on, on government or state land, and this would be valid. And so uh, uh, when I was a boy, there were prospectors in uh, all these hills. They were everywhere. Uh, prospecting, especially during the Depression, was very, uh, was very prominent. And you'd find those. You often would find a, a tin can uh, that was in the middle of it. Uh, quite frequently, someone would stake a claim, never ever uh, worked it, never mined it, but they staked it out. And so the law said that you have to do a certain amount of assessment work, which is improvements, every year to keep that. And so uh, if you didn't do that, why uh, somebody could check your claim at the local uh, uh, office and uh, they could jump your claim. All these are terms that uh, you, all of you who are uh, fans of cowboy movies when you're kids, well, this will be familiar to you, okay? So uh, that brings to our, our imagery uh, landmarks. It's going to be a powerful Bible study this day. Okay. Landmarks and boundaries. And so uh, also... that. That's what it is. Listen, because I don't know. 
six, seven. Okay. So also, uh, if you have ever done a great deal of wandering through the hills, uh, you will uh, occasionally happen onto a pipe uh, that's sticking in the ground, and it'll have a brass cap on it. And on that cap will have uh, certain, certain sections, so many degrees, etc., etc., etc. And this whole uh, land has been surveyed. Uh, they've surveyed it, it seems to me, if I remember correctly, uh, in sections. 160 acres will be a section. And uh, these will be boundaries and landmarks. And the whole nation has been surveyed. They know, know exactly uh, to a degree uh, whose boundary is what. So this brings imagery, uh, landmarks and, uh, and boundaries. And uh, in Proverbs 22:28, if Randy would uh, read that scripture for us, we have an interesting statement uh, in the Bible. Proverbs 22:28. Okay, here's a passage of scripture. I think there's six of these that uh, give this same uh, essential statement uh, in the scripture. It has to do with the landmarks, and it has to do with boundaries. And so, uh, uh, many times people don't really uh, think about uh, how much of life there is a need for boundaries. About without certain boundaries. Uh, there'd be a great deal of uncertainty and uh, insecurity. They did a, uh, an experiment, I'm told, with school children. And they studied them. Uh, they studied the children first that were on a school campus where it was fenced off. And uh, these children would abandon, would uh, play time, recess time, go out. They played in the schoolyard. And uh, they, they knew exactly where the boundary was. The fence were with total abandon. But then they uh, did an interesting thing. They did the, the, the observation with the same children in a school ground with no fences on it. In other words, there was no boundaries. And they found that they were very insecure, and they found that they uh, had uh, 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 an, an observable change in their behavior. Uh, their behavior, their relationship to one another uh, totally changed, and it changed how they viewed life. Uh, because with a fence, they could freely roam. They knew what the boundaries were. But when there were no fences, they weren't sure. And so this is a this is a uh, an illustration of something that's very uh, important in human personality. And I want you to just think with me for a moment before we get into the heart of this. That uh, what if there were no uh, rules on the road? Well, if you go to the Philippines, you'll find that there are no rules. You make the rules as you go. We were in Egypt years ago in a tour group, and the bus driver's driving right down the center white line with his lights off. And so uh, somebody asked him, said, uh, what are those lines for? Because the Americans are terrified they, to, to drive on roads, no lights and no lights. Said, what, are those, what are those lines for on the highway? He said, oh, that's for the police. That's, uh, that's not for us. That's just for the police. What if... You were to fly an aircraft with the traffic that we have today. We have several pilots here today, and there were no rules. You could fly at any altitude you wanted. You could uh, you could be uh, totally. I wouldn't want to fly. I don't know about you. See, uh, pilots fly. They have uh, all kinds of instruments that will keep them within the boundaries. Uh, uh, all commercial aircraft 
are under the control of the central control, Denver Center, Albuquerque Center, etc., etc., and they have them on radar. They know where they are. If they're going east to west, they fly at a certain altitude. If they're going north to south, they fly at a certain altitude. And uh, if you are not on those, if you are in visual flight uh, rules, then you fly at a certain uh, altitude, and uh, north and south you fly at a certain altitude, east to west. And this is designed so that there's a maximum safety. They do not let people fly in the clouds without being observable uh, with uh, a uh, radar center uh, because of the danger there. So, uh, so uh, we, we see that very easily. What if there were no boundaries uh, and uh, you bought a piece of property and uh, the next thing you knew, your neighbor had built a chicken house on it? You're following my thought this morning. See, we live much of life with boundaries uh, that are clearly defined, and we depend on those, uh, and, uh, and, and we understand that if we cross over those and do not observe those, this causes a great deal of chaos in life, and it's astonishing. These are just a few examples, if you, you can come up with many of your own, that if there are no rules, if there are no boundaries, if there are no reference points, then life becomes extremely chaotic, and this is why in the Bible that we have these tremendous statements that has to do with landmarks and boundaries, and, uh, and I want to talk about these. In the Scripture, there are extensive Scriptures. Uh, I'm going to deal with a number of subjects as we move through that have to do with uh, our relationship to God, our relationship to one another, our relationship to life. And uh, the lesson that is learned uh, from this lesson is that God has set boundaries and these are for our good. These are not there. You know, many people approach a life as if, as if God is just waiting to put some rule on us that make us miserable. He's just waiting with a fly swatter that if we step over, he's going to, that's it. I've been waiting for you to do that uh, all your life. But you see, God puts boundaries on human conduct upon uh, uh, facets of life for our good and for our blessing, just as we put limits and boundaries on our children and the certain security uh, that is uh, that uh, is uh, comes uh, from relating to this and from observing these boundaries and uh, uh, and uh, going through life. And so, uh, actually, this word uh, landmark uh, roots back into uh, 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 boundaries and borders. And uh, Jesus is, is is talking. He's uh, he's in Samaria. Uh, Samaria, remember the ten tribes that broke away? They established the uh, golden altar, uh, altar at Bethel and at Dan. And uh, the reason they did that is so that uh, the, uh, the ten tribes would not be going up to Jerusalem and worship. They, were, they wanted to uh, keep their loyalty. And so they established the altars and established the golden calves. And so uh, it had broken down into uh, uh, an absolute chaos of religious doctrine. And so he's talking with this woman up at the well of Samaria, John 4. Uh, when he, uh, when he uh, uh, begins to deal with her, uh, she see, proceeds as a Jew. She ends into this little dialogue, and, he, and she says, you Jews say we ought to worship up in at Jerusalem. In other words, it had to do with proper worship. And uh, she says, our fathers have worshipped in this mountain. Long tradition. And Jesus speaks to her these words, and lines out something very profound, uh, just in the, in the immediate saying, doesn't seem that, uh, but it's very, very profound. He says, God is a spirit, 
says, you don't know what you're worshiping. You're worshiping, but you don't have any idea what it is that you're doing. You're going through a ritual. You're going through a process, uh, but you don't understand what you're doing. And time, the time has come when neither in this mountain nor Jerusalem men will worship uh, because God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I want to think with you just for a moment this morning about the ignorance and the deception uh, that is around uh, in the world today just to lay a little bit of groundwork for us. A major trend today, and that trend has to do with worship. Uh, those of you who attend regularly, you've heard me preach and use the term worship wars. There is it uh, at work right now in the Christian world a major move uh, and emphasis on what is termed worship. Uh, they are uh, involved in what liturgy to use. They're involved in various kinds of uh, practices. Uh, there are several streams uh, that have become very prominent. One is in Toronto, the Toronto Airport uh, uh, Fellowship in Toronto, Canada, the Pensacola, Brownsville in Florida, the Howard Rodney Brown. Uh, all of these involve laughing noises. These involve various kinds of physical phenomena. They involve uh, 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 various kinds of physical manifestations. There's a, an emphasis on that. And the manifestations in physical and spiritual phenomena are what they've been majoring on. This has caused us a, a good bit of stress in our fellowship the last uh, uh, two, uh, two and a half years. And uh, we've had to confront it. We've had to uh, deal with it. We had some leaders that were into it. And uh, by the grace of God, we're able to weed through. And uh, it's, it's present time been discredited. Uh, in, in, uh, in those who have been involved in it, they've destroyed themselves. Many churches, uh, probably seven or eight churches, no longer exist. They're totally disintegrated. They don't even exist anymore. They don't even have any, anybody meeting. They're gone. They're destroyed. And many lives are hurt and damaged. And so this is continuing on today. The latest uh, uh, fad out of that is, uh, is uh, gold dust falling in their, their services. Gold dust from heaven uh, falling in their services uh, is a sign of their pleasure to God and uh, gold and silver teeth being filled. This is the latest fad. So I got a fax yesterday. One of our missionaries sent me uh, uh, their budget uh, uh, projection. and says, Pastor, the church is doing good. The move upstairs has gone well. We start revival with... Rick Maestas this week, and I'm working with some excellent couples in parting our vision and our values. As you know, this country is extremely religious. Now, South Africa is the birthplace of Howard Rodney Brown, uh, who's the, uh, uh, the laughing revival uh, prophet. And so uh, he says they're extremely religious, so I have to stay on them so they don't get off track. The most recent urban legend happened last Sunday night at the George... He's in George, South Africa. George Civic Center, where all the churches got together. They say that God was so pleased with them that gold flakes started falling from the ceiling and got in everyone's hair, and some hearsay even had their teeth fillings turned to gold. One of the guys in our church was challenged on why we were not there, and he said, because we're not insane. Once again, <laughs> thanks for everything. Major Christian publication. Article, uh, another Toronto blessing. Pastor says God filled teeth with gold. And uh, so people began to come forward to show or not in the congregation there are no gold fillings. Most had one, two or three fillings, but a few reported as many as ten fillings, a statement from the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship reported. Since those reports surfaced, people across the country and around the world have been uh, telling of similar manifestation. 
There have even been some reports of gold dust falling in services and of oil miraculously appearing uh, on people's hands. And so uh, here we go again, and uh, we're off and running. And so uh, you say, well, it's, uh, it's, uh, this is miraculous. It has to be God. Right? Wrong. I, I have taught for ten years to you that the next test of the church will be that everything that is supernatural is not God. So, with the dealing with worship, and uh, most of these people uh, major in long, repetitious song services. Uh, one pastor, uh, they got into it in one of our churches. Uh, Evangelist went up to uh, minister for him, and uh, uh, and they sang 30 minutes. And uh, finally the pastor got up and berated the congregation, said, God is not in this place. And so he got up and led them again for 45 minutes more. Finally turned the service to the evangelist at 9.15. Wouldn't you love to be in that service? Amen. So this is what's happening. Is there's a long repetition until we get a breakthrough in some kind of manifestations. And when you're as old as I am, I want to tell you, if you keep pressing for a breakthrough in manifestation, you will get them. But it not necessarily be God. Okay, so... Uh, there are several key publications that you need to read. I've taken the time uh, to uh, make these available to you. Uh, some of these are out-of-print books that we've printed up. Uh, one is Transference of Spirits. If you have not read that, you're a Bible student. Uh, you, Brother Casey would make a copy available of that. Another is The Beautiful Sight of Evil. Uh, if you haven't read that, uh, that will be made available to you. One that Watchman Nee has done that has been reprinted that I just finished on excuse me, on my trip to Australia, is The Latent Power of the Soul. This is an absolute classic. And uh, we have that available for you. And uh, we have uh, Toronto, Wade and Found Wanting, Making War in the Heavenlies. These are up in the, up in the bookcase. And all of these deal with the very issue uh, of worship. So here we're talking about boundaries in worship. And so I want to uh, lead you in a few thoughts this morning uh, because uh, there are landmarks in worship, and God's very specific. I want uh, someone to get for me Exodus 20, 1 through 6. Somebody get that for me. Bill Bronson, I want uh, Exodus 32, 1 through 5. Somebody would like to get that for me. Uh, Mick Woodcock, I want Exodus 32, 6 through 8. Uh, it's Dave Burke, I want Exodus 32, 17 through 19. Uh, Sean, and I want Exodus 32, 35. Uh, it's uh, Philip. So let's work through this for a moment. We have some specific things, and without getting bogged down this morning, I want to just lay a little bit of foundation. Exodus 20, 1 through 6, God is very specific in something that he says, and in a casual observance, this does not seem to be that crucial, but we'll deal with it. We see that it is. Exodus 20, 1 through 6, God's giving the Ten Commandments. Now remember, the Ten Commandments are... Uh, boundaries. These are reference points. These are not rules that God has imposed to make us miserable. Ten Commandments weren't given so God can show us how, uh, uh, how miserable He can make us. They're given for our protection. They're given for our blessing. They're given to keep us from destroying ourselves. Exodus 20, 1 through 6.
you will not make unto you any graven image nor any likeness of anything that is under heaven You will not bow down to them. I'm concerned about how you worship me. Okay, here's some profound statements that are made. And uh, God lets us know that he is a jealous God. He lets us understand that there are guidelines in worship. See, our generation is so ignorant, they think that anybody that worships, it doesn't matter uh, whether they worship rightly or wrongly. As long as they're worshiping and they have good intentions or they are sincere, that's all that's needed. And God will overlook all the shortcomings, errors, all the uh, diversions and deviance, and everything will be fine. And, uh, and he'll excuse our ignorance. But he makes a statement there that's very interesting uh, that I never fully realized till I started uh, preaching a healing crusade and started dealing with the consequences of sin in children and saw this played out, this statement that uh, Americans with all of our fair play, we have a hard time with this. I'm going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth year. Hey, that's not fair, God. Well, I didn't make the rules. God makes the rules. And he just simply makes a statement and we can either observe that and uh, be blessed by it or we can ignore that and bear the consequences. Exodus 32, 1 through 5. So uh, Moses is up on the mountain. As he's up on the mountain, uh, the people get impatient. Uh, they, uh, the man of God's gone. Uh, there is no uh, 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 daily discourse, and so uh, uh, he's not gone very long until they begin to say to Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron, uh, we don't know what happened to Moses. Maybe a bear ate him, or he fell in a hole, or died. We, uh, you know, we've got to have some gods. So we want you to make us some gods. So Aaron says, okay, take off your earrings that are out, and, he, and uh, they put it into the fire. And so Aaron uh, gives us a real insight a little bit later, he tells the story as Moses asking him, said, I put it in the fire, out hopped this cat. <laughs> and God, you know, just, uh, but uh, the Bible says specifically that it was fashioned. And so he made these gods, and the people then began to worship. Exodus 32, 1 through 5. Fashioned it with a graving tool. Aaron's a liar. He told Moses it just came hopping out of there. (laughs) 
Okay, here's man's insatiable desire to have some kind of representation of God. Now lock your mind on that because this is a very important thing in life. Man has to have some kind of symbol, an insatiable desire to have something that will represent God. That's the heart of idolatry. Remember, we just read Exodus 20. God said, I don't want you making any kind of representation, bowing down to that or using this, in worship. Exodus 32, 6 through 8, we carry on uh, this narrative. Okay, here we have it, plain and simple. Uh, this is a very profound truth here. They begin to uh, set down to eat. They rose up to place, says it very quickly. Uh, but what's happening is uh, that they, they, we'll find out a little later, they strip off their clothes and uh, they're uh, in a wild sex orgy. That's what they are. The base of uh, immorality is a false religion and ignorance of God. Uh, Exodus 32, 17 through 19. Joshua said, there's a war going on down there. They were dancing. The music is going. They're having a disco. They're getting down. Go ahead. All right, you ought to underline that because this is not this is not just in there and just a passing thought. This is a profound statement. Here's man when he's loosed in religion without the true knowledge of the revelation of the living God. All right, Exodus 32:35. We find the conclusion. Diseases came upon the people because of their for all worship. So here we have a, uh, a little insight. There's a little cameo that God's giving us. Now remember, these people were worshiping, right? And they said they were worshiping God. That's what they intended to do. That, it says it right there. It says, you make us uh, gods. And he says, this is the Lord that brought you up out of Egypt. This is Jehovah God. So the people are worshiping the Lord. This is what they intended to do. But the problem is, is that they have deviated from God. I've just been reading in Ezekiel. I'm reading through Ezekiel now, and I'm astonished. I never saw this before. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, chapter after chapter, talks about all the things that's going to happen. And over and over... times in, in the same chapter it'll say and they shall know that I am the Lord and they shall know that I am the Lord and they shall know that I am the Lord you see worship isn't some stupid ignorant emotional uh, frenzy or orgy worship is according to knowledge 
very crucial you understand that and that you know that because uh, this is, uh, this is uh, uh, crucial uh, to an understanding and the, uh, uh, and the furtherance of that. I, w- I want to give you just a few practical experiences that uh, bear on this. And we're going to open it to, uh, in, for discussion before we finish. Uh, in uh, praying for people, I begin to pray for people individually. Uh, I begin to discover the reality of what I'm talking about. I, uh, I, when I first started doing healing crusades, I prayed a mass prayer like we uh, do in Mexico, the mass uh, uh, prayer, uh, and uh, people get healed. Uh, but then uh, that began to hit its limit, and, and what began to force me into another arena is I went into Malaysia a number of years ago with Harry Hills, and so uh, I did a crusade in a uh, uh, school building, and there were probably 900 people there. I was praying for healing for probably 350 people at a time that came forward for healing, and uh, as I did the mass prayer, I'm looking for the results that you'll get in Mexico, you get in the Philippines, and uh, uh, lead them in all the steps of releasing their faith, all the dynamics. And uh, then uh, when I'm finished, all right, how many of you are healed? 350 people. I'm looking. Everybody's looking around. Hey, nobody healed. I said, well, maybe this is a bad night. So uh, uh, I did the second night. The second night, exactly the same thing. I got a few people healed that I, uh, that I pulled out that had back injuries and so on. But still, uh, no one healed. So uh, I was very troubled by this. Uh, it began to change my process, began to uh, in, uh, reach in and inquire why. And, uh, and the root of this was these people are still in their idolatrous religion. Uh, most of them had foo, uh, Chinese, or many Chinese in Malaysia. Foo is either a metal plate, but generally religious writings they have in their, in their uh, uh, purse or wallet. Are on their person. These are uh, uh, these are charms. Uh, they've been uh, they've been taken to the Buddhist temple, and uh, they've been uh, blessed by uh, a Buddhist priests. Uh, the uh, the other heavy uh, population you have are are Tamil Indians, and they're Hindus, and the Hindus all have talismans of various kinds. And so I begin to discover that uh, that uh, there was a, there's a tremendous dynamic that's involved. With this false religion, I'll tell you in about a number of cases. I was praying in one crusade individually. Uh, At a later date, there was a a woman that came there. She was uh, deaf for 18 years. She could read lips perfectly. Unless you were very uh, sharp, you turned away, you wouldn't wouldn't realize that this woman uh, could not not, uh, hear what you're saying. And so uh, I only found this out, and, and after she told me this, that I've been deaf for 18 years, and I prayed for this woman. She was gloriously and wonderfully healed before hundreds of people. She demonstrated for the first time, as I'm standing in back of her, she's repeating perfectly every word that I said. And so it was a wonderful night. The next night, she came back to the crusade, came up, we were praying individually again, and I had several pastors praying with me, and she said, uh, I was healed last night, but I've lost my healing. And so I said to her, then this means that you're involved in something that's, uh, that's causing you uh, to lose your healing. And uh, generally I found that people are either involved in witchcraft or false uh, idolatry or something. And uh, she said, I'm an Episcopalian. That's my background. But the minute I began to question her, she reached backward uh, to a companion uh, that handed her a plastic wallet. And in that plastic wallet was a uh, crucifix. 
And I said, that's the problem. Give me the crucifix. She gave it to me. I bent it double, threw it back up on the platform, prayed for it again. Instantly, the ears opened. Now, you say, oh, now, Pastor Mitchell, I'm uh, an intelligent human being. How could a little old crucifix? After all, it represents God. Yes, it does. It's idolatry. And I can tell you story after story after story since then of people that did not get healed with the crucifix. They took it off and they got healed. I was praying for a Hindu woman uh, in Malaysia. She had a deaf daughter, uh, probably uh, 10 or 11 years old, maybe 12, totally deaf. Uh, and uh, and these, uh, these uh, Tamils uh, have dowries. And so their dowries, they generally will turn this into a, uh, a necklace, depending on how much you are. It's, it's all gold. And the centerpiece will be a uh, heathen temple. This will be the centerpiece of this dowry. And so uh, she had one of these on. I said, I want you to take that off. That's idolatry. Uh, before I pray for this girl. She took it off. Uh, I told her, don't, don't put that back on. I prayed for the daughter. The daughter's ears were instantly open, gloriously healed. The next night she came back. The daughter's ears were closed. And she had the dowry back on. She had the temple back on. Okay. So uh, I had a Hindu man. Uh, three years, this man had a back disorder. I was praying individually by that time uh, for almost everyone. I set him down in a chair. Uh, he'd been under a doctor's care. He was in severe pain at the moment. I uh, set him down, and uh, he was a very uh, well-dressed man. He was a very wealthy man. I could tell by being there. He'd come to the crusade out of desperation. And uh, I saw he had a gold chain around his neck. And, uh, and I said to him, uh, I said, uh, let me see what's on this chain. I pulled it up out of his shirt, and there was a little cylinder about this long uh, on it. Uh, it was a gold cylinder, and they have inside, they have writings. It's been blessed by the Hindu priest. That's a talisman. So I said, uh, uh, I, I want you to take that off, and I want you to get rid of that. Oh, he said, I, I, I wear that for protection. I said, I'm very much aware of why you wear that. But that is a cult religion, idolatry. You'll have to get rid of that if you want me to pray for you. He reluctantly agreed and uh, gave us the talisman. I prayed for him. He was wonderfully and gloriously healed instantly and had been under doctor's care. No help for him of any kind. I prayed for a man, uh, uh, this is in Malaysia also, had a leather uh, uh, talisman on. It was, a, it was a band. He had kidney failure, was facing uh, replacement surgery. He came uh, uh, to the platform. I was back in the church at that time. And uh, I said, uh, you have to take that talisman off. And he said, oh, no. He said, that, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm keeping that. He said, I'm going to wear that until it falls off. And I said, fine. When it falls off, you come back to me, and I'll pray for you. Oh, no, 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 no. He said, I want you to pray for me now. I said, fine. So I took my scissors. I said, you're willing to take that off? I cut that uh, leather band off, and he was gloriously and instantly healed. Had no operation. He's still in the church today. I had a Hindu man in that same uh, place uh, that had stomach pain for nine years. Prayed for him. He was not healed. And this is when I began to discover the dynamics of this. I asked him, I said, do you have a talisman? He said, yes, I do. He reached in his pocket, had a talisman. I said, give me that. Prayed for him again. He was instantly healed. So the reason I'm telling you this is that these little things that we don't think are very serious, remember the Word of God says, God says, I am a jealous God. Now, that either means something or it does not mean anything. Is that correct? And when God says, I don't want you using anything... Uh, any representation of me, I don't want you involved in that. I'm a jealous God, 
And in Exodus 32:35, where he says it says very plainly that God plagued. If you'll look, if you're a Bible student, the diseases came upon these people because of their idolatrous worship. That's exactly what he means. That doesn't mean that everybody that veers necessarily come down with a fatal disease, but the principle and the dynamic is there, and we shouldn't ignore it. And so we need to understand that. I want to talk to you for just a moment about the soulish realm, uh, if I could. Watchman Nee, uh, 60 years ago, wrote some very interesting statements, and I've used these in sermons. I want to, repa- I want to repeat two of these. Uh, and I quote, he says, They eagerly admire the Word of God, but seek knowledge only to satisfy the aspiration of their mind. They are reluctant to wait upon God for His revelation in due course, Their quest for the presence of God, for the consciousness of His mercy and nearness, is not for God's sake, but for their own happiness. By so doing, they're not loving the Lord, rather they're loving the feeling which refreshes them and affords them the glory of the third heaven. Their total life and labor elevates self as the center they wish to enjoy themselves. I have just described to you the American church. He wrote this 60 years ago. If you read The Latent Power of the Soul, he was dealing with everything that we're dealing with today in the Christian charismatic world. And he writes absolutely uh, with tremendous insight and spells out everything we're dealing with uh, at the moment. It says, The idea that worship seeks to meet people's needs, to meet them where they, are, where they are, denies the very nature of worship. We are in the midst of a generation of self-seeking, self-gratifying, self-exalting human beings. He writes another, this is in the danger of the soul's life out of the spiritual man, says the evil spirits can impart visions or lofty thoughts to believers, lulling them into thinking that since these are supernatural, they must be of God. The emotional part of the soul also can be aroused easily by the adversary since many believers crave joyful feelings and the sensations of having the Holy Spirit, of the loveliness of the Lord Jesus, and of the presence of God, evil spirits will supply their senses with many strange experiences. This is that their natural abilities might be stimulated, and that the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, traceable only by man's delicate, intuitive faculty in his spirit, might be suppressed. True worship is after the knowledge of God. I want several scriptures, uh, and we're going to open it for uh, discussion. I want Romans 128. Somebody help me in this section over here. as Brian. Romans 128. Romans 10.2. 10, uh, Pete Baker. Uh, Valerie, get for me 1 Corinthians 15.34. I want 2 Corinthians 4.6. Louis, 2 Corinthians 4.6. And Samantha, 2 Corinthians 10.5. And Ephesians 1.17. Sean, if you want to get that for me. True worship is after the knowledge of God. These are just... Uh, five or six scriptures that let us understand that God must be worshipped after knowledge. The revelation of himself. When we uh, are ignorant, thinking that anybody that says, I am worshipping, is worshipping, we are just that. We're ignorant. When we think that any uh, any kind of... Uh, uh, Religious assembly is one is just as good as another. While you are far straight from the Word of God, because God is God. He has revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He has put in the Bible 
guidelines and reference marks and landmarks and boundaries. And when we cross those boundaries, then we cross into a violation in a spirit dimension and we pay the consequences. Uh, it's Brian, I believe. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. This scripture deals with uh, people who have known the Lord, but they have other appetites, other desires, and other ambitions. Go ahead. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. This is a mind without reference points. This is a mind uh, that uh, has lost its, uh, its bearings. Go ahead. To do those things which are not fitting. This is a great description of deviance in religious worship. And uh, if you read it, it's a root in the core of homosexuality and perversion and, uh, and, and plays itself on out. I don't want to get down, bogged down on that this morning. Romans 10, verse 2. Here's Paul. He says, I bear them witness. They have a zeal uh, after God. But it is not the revelation of the living God. It's not in accord. It's not in the boundaries. It's not in the reference points. It's not in the landmarks uh, that uh, God has required. First Corinthians fifteen thirty-four. Says so some of you are in your, your congregation. They don't have the the uh, knowledge of God. Awake to righteousness and sin not. He's writing to the Corinthian congregation and says to them, uh, you, uh, you uh, have in there people who do not uh, have understanding and knowledge of God. They are religious. He's just, just described uh, a great deal of the church world. Second Corinthians 4, 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is a profound statement because God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ the Son. Second Corinthians 10 verse 5. Casting down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You'll find this statement made over and over and over again in the Scripture. Ephesians 1.17 God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Somebody tell me how you get that spirit. As we're winding this down. How do you get that spirit? So a lottery? It just, uh, how do you get that spirit, Jeff? Okay. Reading the Word of God. Your name. Name is gone from me. Praying. Okay. Tim? Obedience. See, the great problem is people who know and do not do. 
You will not have the spirit of, of, of uh, revelation uh, and the knowledge of God, that spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of God, when you're living in immorality. It will depart from you. It's gone. As a matter of fact, if you persist on in being religious, you'll find it will be a very short time until you'll be deceived and led aside and, uh, you, and people will wonder, what on earth happened over what's-his-face? Because you knew to do, and you did not do, and you gave yourself to a spirit of deception. We want Second Thessalonians 2, 3 through 12. I want to read it to you. Turn there with me in your Bibles, and I want to read that out to you, because this is the conclusion of the age in which we live. And this is exactly where we find ourselves today in the religious world. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 3 through 12. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. False doctrine and false gods open us to deception. So here we have the boundary. I want uh, Randy to get that scripture again for us, Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight. We want to lock this down again with this admonition from God this is one of six scriptures that speak specifically about landmarks. There are a number of others that have to do with boundaries. On in the New Testament, we have some others. Proverbs 22, 28, we have an admonition. And would you read that for me, Randy Foster? Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. And Pete, would you read for me John 4? Uh, 20, uh, uh, 1 through uh, 20, uh, 20, uh, 1 through 24. John 4, 20, 1 through 24. Boundaries or landmarks in worship. What would be in spirit and what would be in truth as we conclude? Somebody make a comment for me. Uh, uh, Rodney? It will always be referenced off of God's Word. The Holy Spirit will never 
operate contrary to the Word of God. We're going to continue the next lesson, and uh, this is going to be a good study. We're going to take a break for about five minutes and have our morning service.